Are you telling me I got to be chained to this microphone all morning? You broke it when I was I broke it when I was coughing. Worst morning ever. I have to stand behind the pulpit the whole time. I'll just grab this thing and run around with it. Is that better? Is that better? No, it's not better. Daryl isn't here one Sunday, and you guys can't keep my mic going. <laughs> Man. I don't, I left it at Ohio Stadium last night, Jerry. I left my voice there. Someone has said, in response to the text that we're about to read this morning, that the secret of power is in character, but the secret of character is in God. I like that. The secret of power is in your character, but the secret of your character is found in God. Let's be honest, if it was up to any one of us to maintain our character, would anybody be able to do it? If you said yes to that, you've got a problem. And the problem is, is that you're trusting in your own ability. None of us can do that. And as we have been following Joseph through, we have, we've been following this account through Genesis and we've come to Joseph. We have seen now that from Joseph's perspective, 13 long years, 13 long years, think back 13 years, those of you can remember that far back. In 13 years, though, God has done an amazing work in this guy's life. Think about when we first met Joseph. He was a, let's just call him what he was. He was pretty much as close as you can get in the Bible to a trust fund kid. Was he not? He was a trust fund kid. He was privileged. He was a pompous daddy's boy. Somewhere down south of us, there's a suburb of Columbus where they're all running around right now. Right? And in 13 years, not of Joseph's choosing, but in 13 years, he has been transformed into a hardworking, responsible, humble, and quite capable man that's ready for the task that God's called him to. And I have to ask you, what, what changed him? What made him ready for all of this? And, and I think what we have seen over and over is Romans eleven thirty six, where it says that from him, God, and through him, and to him are all things. God has introduced testing and trial into Joseph's life. And I don't, I don't understand sometimes why God does what he does. Do you understand why God does what he does? I don't understand sometimes why God does what he does. But I know this, that the words of the song we just sang before I got up here to preach, Jesus is strong and kind, is he not? And that he is constantly doing things in our lives to, to, to make us more to be what he wants us to be, if we're the children of God. And so the tests and the trials that God introduced into Joseph's life 
were not just to prove to Joseph, hey, you're a pompous windbag. You're, you're too self-reliant on your dad's well. No, they were to change him to make him to be what God needed him to be. And as God introduced a series of trials into Joseph's life, Joseph passed them. And, and I mentioned this last week. We'd be tempted to think Joseph passed those trials because Joseph is just a great man of character. And I would submit to you that we're missing the point. Joseph passed those trials because Joseph had a great God and Joseph placed his faith in that great God. Joseph's faithfulness then demonstrates his character. How many of you have ever been guilty of saying this about yourself or somebody else? They will never change. I will never change. You ever been guilty of saying that? They will never change. Joseph's story, this account that we have, this, this real life that's recorded for us in God's word, Joseph's story is living proof and a reminder that God will and that God can and that God does change hearts. It's also a vivid reminder that God keeps his promises. I don't know where you are. Maybe you've been at this longer than 13 years, relying on God to keep a promise. And you've been claiming that same promise in the word over and over. Paul reminded us this morning about how we should never stop praying for our loved ones. That had to be pretty cool last week. I'm kind of jealous. And so when we come to now this account at the end of Genesis chapter 41, I want you to avoid the temptation of, of forgetting that 13 years have passed, of avoiding the temptation to forget all that has had to transpire in Joseph's life to bring him to this moment. Because this is like a phoenix just rising out of the ashes when we see Joseph in this account here. But do not forget for a second all that went into this. Do not forget the hardship of being, of being rising in Pharaoh's or in Potiphar's house to the point where nothing is kept from Joseph and he's in charge of it all to then being having that rug pulled out from underneath him to go to the prison where again he rises to then have the final two years where he feels like he's been forgotten that he'll never be remembered. And so when we come to our passage this morning, Genesis 41 we're going to begin, in our, our, we're going to consider verses 37 through the end of the chapter, but I want to get into it with where we left last week, and I want us to see the advice, the, the counsel that Joseph, who is still a slave, who is still a prisoner, this counsel that he gives unsolicited to Pharaoh, okay? Remember, remember just what, what heady stuff this is that he does. And we see that in verse 34, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Joseph said to, or Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and as wise as you are. You shall be Lord over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt. And he put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The second of the name he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Let's pray this morning. Father, in the short time that we have, use your word to encourage us, use your word to convict us, use your word to exhort us, to to push us forward in our walk with Christ, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Joseph becomes number two in all of Egypt. He basically becomes the prime minister. And I want you to notice first, as as we began reading this, in verse 38, Joseph had so acted in such a way that Pharaoh cannot help but acknowledge God's presence in Joseph's life. Pharaoh can't help but see it in Joseph's life. The way that Joseph has talked, the way that he has conducted himself, the way that he's acted, Pharaoh can't help but see God in his life. I mentioned this to us last week, and it just bears repeating again because it's right here in our text that Joseph oriented his life, Joseph lived his life the way that he walked, the way that he talked, like he really believed that God was a big God. He really believed that. And folks, here's the truth of the matter. If you really believe that your God is a big God, will you act like it? Will you act like it? If you really believe in your heart and you you understand him for who he is and how he has revealed himself in his word, will you live like he's a big God? You will. 
You can't help but do it. Because if you see God as a little God, then you won't hold yourself accountable to him. And you don't see yourself as accountable to him. You won't see that he is worthy of all of your living. You won't see that he's worthy of your obedience. You won't see that he's worthy of you doing it the way that he tells you to do it. But... If you do see him as the all-glorious one, the all-powerful one, you will live it and people around you will notice it. And so Pharaoh, notice verse 39. He says in verse 38, in whom is the spirit of God. And then he says to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, who is Pharaoh giving credit to? And do you catch the irony here? Here is is this one who is so steeped in his polytheism. He himself in Egypt is one of the gods. He's worshipped as a god. And and he he worships the sun. And and he worships the Nile River. And he worships all these other things. And, And now he is so humble that he has to say, since basically your God has shown you this, what my gods couldn't do. It occurs to me, it occurs to me that we're living in a time when, when people all around us in our country and around the world need a better view of who God is. Does that occur to you? Who's it incumbent on for them to get a better view of God? Is it up to God to do something miraculous to shake up this world? So No. It's on those who are his children those who are his followers, to live our lives with a big God mentality. Now, I understand that the world is not a friend to people who live with a big God mentality. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you some friendships. It's going to cost you some, some people around you. It's going to cost you the esteem that you might have with certain people in, in your world. But, but, but here's the thing. Our world needs to see that our God is big and that he's real and that, and that he is worth giving all the glory to. And when we fail to do it, what we're saying is, my God really isn't that powerful. My God isn't that big. My God's just like all the other gods out in the world. You choose yours and I'll choose mine. Mine's pretty weak and that's not who our God is. That's not who our God is. And so he gets this stunning admission from this polytheist right here. And he recognizes that his wisdom and his discerning comes from God. Question for you. Those of you who are employed right now, out in the workplace, not moms who are staying at home who are employed far worse than any of the rest of us. Those of you who are employed in the workplace... Does your employer know that you have a big God by the way that you act? Does he know, does she know that your wisdom and your discernment, I hope you have some, that it comes from a powerful God? Or do they just assume that you're just really a brilliant guy or that you're not so brilliant? You see, Joseph lived his life in such a way that Pharaoh couldn't help but see that he had a big God. Now, mind you, it took him 13 years to be prepared to do that. 13 long years to be prepared to do that. And so in this rise to power, notice what Pharaoh does. Look at verse 40. 
You'll be, you'll be over my house. This isn't the first time that he has been over the house of a high-ranking official in Egypt. Right? Not only is he over the, 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 the buying and the selling of grain and making sure that it's stored, but, but Pharaoh puts him in charge of his house. On top of that, he says this. Look at the end of verse 40. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Literally what Pharaoh is saying to him is this. When I'm away from the palace, you and I are pretty much equals out here. When I'm away from the throne, now he's saying this. He kind of has a Harry Truman aspect to this. The buck stops with me. But when I leave the throne room here, you and I are pretty much equals in the land of Egypt. I expect people to order themselves to you the way they order themselves to me. That's big stuff right there. Understand that, that within a day, within a day, he went from being a prisoner, Pharaoh's prisoner, to now being Pharaoh's second in command. He, he, went, from, he went from being the, the guy who took orders to the guy who gives orders. And I'm reminded of a principle that we see in the book of James, that we see in the book of 1 Peter. Humble yourself under the hand of the Lord, and who will lift you up? He will. He went from serving the king's prisoners to serving the king himself. And I don't know about you, but I think that has a way, there's a temptation there to change a person, right? I mean, we have no further to look than the state house in Columbus or the mayor's office in any city in Ohio or Washington, D.C. itself to understand this, that power corrupts people, does it not? Does power corrupt? And now, here we got Joseph who has been embodied with a whole lot of power. And on top of that, when he's made the prime minister, Pharaoh sets out to Egyptianize him. Because after all, if he's going to get the respect of his people, he has to be Egyptian, right? And so here's what Pharaoh does. In verse 42, he gives him his signet ring. Understand what that means. Joseph had the ability to, to, to word documents and send them out with the authority of Pharaoh. I mean, if he wanted to get himself a new house, all he had to do was say, okay, get this house over there, Pharaoh's stamp, it's mine. If he wanted a new horse and chariot, if the old, old model wasn't so good, guess what he could do? Stamp it with Pharaoh's approval. If he wanted to mistreat people who had mistreated him when he was in the jail, all he had to do was, off with that guy's head, Pharaoh's seal. It's a lot of power to give somebody, isn't it? And here, here he's received this power. He now can authorize documents in Pharaoh's authority. On top of that, he's put, he's put in really fine clothes. Do you see it there at the end of verse 42? He's clothed in a garment of linen and a gold chain about his neck. Okay? And so he has now, now been dressed like somebody who is royalty, who is wealthy. He now, again, looks like a privileged person, except 13 years ago, he had to run with this privilege. Now... This means nothing to him. Then in verse 43, he gets the second chariot. It's like, it's like he gets to fly in one of the Air Force jets. It's not Air Force One, it's Air Force Two. Right? 
He's given, he's given the second chariot, and he's given an entourage. He's given a whole posse of people here that run before him, and they say, bow the knee. And whenever they say, bow the knee, they're armed. And if you don't bow the knee, what happens? That'll go to a man's head. That'll go to a man's head. And I would submit to you that all of the testing that Joseph went through for 13 years prepared him for this test in one day. Because this is a huge test. He's now been put under the microscope. If it were in today's society, there would be press all over the place, the glare of cameras in his face. Everybody is looking at him to see how he's going to do and how he's going to respond to this. And Joseph is prepared for the test. Friend, friend, have you had to endure some hardship in your life? Have you had to go through some testing and trial? Count on this. God is preparing you for something that he is counting on you to pass the test in in the future. Count on it. He's preparing you. Don't complain in the trial. Don't complain for that. Thank God. Thank you, God, that you love me enough to prepare me for what you have in front of me. Some of you are like, I don't think I want to know some of the tests I've been through. I don't think I want to know what's coming. But here's the thing. All of this. And then when you combine that in verse 45, probably the, the biggest Egyptian, Egyptian nation that he can do to him is he gives him an Egyptian name and he gives him this really beautiful Egyptian wife. You say, how do you know she's beautiful? You don't give number two in command an ugly wife. Am I right? And here she is. She's not just a beautiful woman. She's a connected woman. Do you see it there in verse 45? She's the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Well, the city of On was known for sun worship. It's where the, the, the center of sun worship took place. And this guy was the chief priest of worshiping the sun. He's a pretty well-connected guy. He's a part, if you will, of the royal community there. He's a part of that there in Egypt. And, and so all of a sudden, here is this Hebrew slave who doesn't have a bloodline that matters at all in Egypt. All of a sudden, he's given a wife. And all of a sudden, now his offspring are going to be a part of a royal bloodline. Then... It's as if Moses wants to remind us in verse 46. And by the way, he's only 30 years old. Hey, men in the room. Men in the room. Do you remember what it was like to be 30? <laughs> Good admission, Jerry. When I was 30 years old, I was a punk. I thought I knew it all. I had strength like I don't have now. I had all the answers. I had it all figured out. I thought I did. And here's Joseph. He could have easily taken advantage of this situation. It could have been Joseph doing this, something that you and I are tempted to do. You know what? I have put in the hard time. I have gone through all the tests and the trials. Obviously, God, you're rewarding me here with all this stuff. I am just going to enjoy it to the hilt. I've earned this. You ever been guilty of thinking that? I've earned this? Truth of the matter is, all we've earned is condemnation from God. God, God gives us grace. Anything that's above condemnation is God's grace. Am I right? 
Joseph didn't earn this. God gave it to him. And so I want you to see, in the face of this other test, what Joseph does. And I want you to see Joseph's faithfulness. Look at verse 46. He's 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king, and he went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. That, that's, pretty, that's pretty indicative of what's going on here, folks. He understands the task, and he didn't just delegate the task to other people. He himself went out there and made sure it got done. Verse 46 is confirmation that he had passed the test here. That, that all this stuff that was happening to him didn't go to his head. He went about the business of what he was supposed to do. How do I know that? Well, look back with me. Look back with me at verse 33 in chapter 41. What's the first piece of advice that he gives to Pharaoh? Pick a wise and discerning man and set him over the land of Egypt. Joseph realizes that his advice is now coming true, and he has to be that wise and discerning man. He has to be that wise and discerning man who's going to go out and take care of business. But I want you to see that everything that God had said would happen happened exactly as God said it. Do you see it there in verse 47? They had seven years of abundance. Just like God said there would be. There's seven years of abundance. And, and during those years, those abundant years, it would be really easy. Can you imagine if they had such a thing in Egypt during this time, what Joseph's popularity ratings are at this point? You know, ever since Joseph became prime minister, which and people were like, where'd this Joseph come from? I don't know where he came from, but for seven years, man, we have had it good with Joseph. All for Joseph, yes. During those seven years, verse 48, he gathered up all the food. And he, and he did exactly what he had said he was going to do with it. He put the food in the cities. And then in every city, the food from the grain, from the fields around it, and he stored up the grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. And just like God, just like God, God does something that Joseph doesn't deserve. You see, it's at this point that Moses puts this little parenthetical in the account. You see it there in verse 50? In verse, through verses 50 through 52? I want you to see the kind of God that you're called to make big, okay? I, I want you, because, because it's a scary thing. Look up here, church. It's a scary thing to go out and live your life like you have a big God in a world that doesn't have any regard for God. Am I right? It's a scary thing to do that. But, but here's the big God that you have. And I want you to catch it here in the, way that Joseph, in the way that Joseph is blessed here. Verse 50, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. The first thing I want you to note is Joseph still has a faith and a reliance in the one God because he names his children Hebrew names. He names his children Hebrew names. Manasseh and Ephraim, those are Hebrew names. He doesn't name them Egyptian names. He doesn't, he doesn't move into this new gated community and adopt all the ways of all the people in the gated community. Right? He's like, no, my identity is this. Yeah, you can call me that really long name you gave me, but I imagine Joseph probably said to people whenever he was introduced to them, by the way, my name's Joseph. 
Joseph, that's a weird Egyptian name. Well, yeah, that's my name, Joseph. And when he introduced his kids to people around him, he introduced them with Hebrew names because he believed in the one true God. But notice the significance of these names. We've seen this throughout the book of Genesis as we've been traveling through it. Names have great significance here. And so in verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. And I want you just to let those words sink in. God made me forget. Think about the hardship that you're enduring right now. Think about the hardship you've had in your past. Think about the, the things that you wish you didn't have to remember. When you have a big, and I mean big, capital B, capital I, capital G, when you have a big God, your God can make you forget with the way that he blesses you. He was able to forget all of his troubled past. And, and when it says that there he forgot his family, we know that he really doesn't forget his family and like he do, they cease to exist in his mind. He forgets about all the hurt that they've done to him. You say, I don't think that's possible, PD. I don't think that's possible. I've, I've endured a lot of hurt here, and, and I think that, that Joseph, God just did something magical for him. No, he's the same God for Joseph that he is for you and I. He doesn't forget his family, because as we move forward, we're going to find out he really still cares about his family. His family still matters to him. But who is the emphasis on? And whenever, whenever his Egyptian friends would ask him, Manasseh, that's a weird name. What does that mean? Every time that he got asked that question, here's what he said. My God has made me forget all the hardship in my life. What a testimony. And the emphasis is not on his willpower, not on going to therapy, not on any other means that, that we can come up with to solve our crisis and our problems. It's only God who has done this for me. And it fits. When you have a big view of God, you run to him for your help. Think about it. If you don't have a big view of God, are you going to listen to the marketplace of ideas out there and take their solutions? Yeah. Joseph, Joseph has a big view of God, and he says this, it's my God who has helped me to forget this. It's my God who has, has taken care of me in such a way that, that all of that stuff in the past, I can just leave in the past. Hmm. There's no resentment of his family here, which indicates to me that Joseph already has a forgiving heart towards his family. Now, they haven't sought his forgiveness, but, but there's no resentment of his family. There, there's, there's, there's only this great expression of how great his God is. Think about it. Have you experienced some serious hurts and harms in your life? Would you dare even call them injustices? I know that's a really scary word to use right now. Have you experienced some injustices in your life, some unfairness? Let me give you, let me save you years of therapy and frustration. Let me save it for you right now. You cannot, in your own strength, wipe those away. You can't do it. If you try to, you will be really messed up. There's only one 
who can do that. And he's the all-powerful God. He's the only one who can make you forget. And we live in a world today where people are turning to everything that they can think of to try to forget their pasts. And they're missing the glaring, obvious answer. There is a God who made you for himself. There is a God who loves you. There is a God who has a good plan for you if you will just submit to it. And so by God's grace, Joseph has left the past in the past. And then he has a second son. And you see it there in verse 52. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He acknowledges that this has not been a fun place to live. It's the land of my affliction, but, but who, who has blessed him? It's God. It's my God. And what I see in this is further confirmation that Joseph has not abandoned his faith in his one true God in all of this. And in a time when his popularity, like I pointed out, has to be riding high, Joseph is still making much of his God, even so much that he's naming his children to draw attention to his God. Now, before we leave this chapter, I want you to see the last five verses, how Joseph's obedience gets rewarded and how his obedience doesn't just get rewarded and and he gets the blessing, a whole world gets the blessing. So God warned that seven years of famine were going to come. And in verse 53, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land came to an end, and seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. But because Joseph was faithful, because Joseph was obedient, there's bread for the Egyptians. And notice in verse 55, only God does this. In verse 55, if you're Pharaoh would you not be tempted to take credit for all the bread being stored up? Do you see it in verse 55? When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and here's what Pharaoh said. I have all your needs met. I have been taking care of you all along. What does he say? Talk to Joseph. Humble your hand, under, or humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and who will lift you up? He will. Pharaoh recognizes, just just do what Joseph tells you to do because apart from Joseph and Joseph's God here, we're all in trouble. So just listen to Joseph. And what we find out is when we get to the end of the chapter, God is orchestrating all these events for a great family reunion. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 57. All the earth came to Egypt and to Joseph to buy grain. (laughs) Pharaoh puts Joseph directly in charge of handing out the grain to foreigners. Do you see that? He puts him directly in charge of that, which is going to put Joseph in a really interesting position as we move forward, isn't it? And I submit to you... (laughs) that here we have another classic example of God working all things for his glory and our good. We're seeing this over and over in the life of Joseph. God has now set the conditions that are going to be perfect for Joseph to be reunited with his family and reconciled to them. 
Here's the thing. And yes, I'm getting ready to conclude my message. Some of you are ready to fall over. It is only nine minutes till 12. <laughs> Don't get lost in that. Just pay attention here, okay? Because if you get lost, I'll drag it out for another 15. I can do it. Maybe you're here today and you are wrestling how to handle the hurts and the injustices that you have experienced in your life. Maybe that's you this morning. Look no further than Joseph's God. Don't look at Joseph, look at Joseph's God. He's the one who will make you forget that stuff with the way that, that you see him in a big God kind of way. Here's what I know about hurts and injustices. When they happen to us, where do we normally put our attention? Right on ourselves. No one ever says initially, wow, you must have been really hurting to hurt me that poorly or that badly. No, our typical reaction is this. I cannot believe what you have done to me. Understand this, we have a God, we have a God who settles injustice better than any of us can. We have a God who heals hurt bigger than and better than any of us can. Because here's the thing, and I want you just to consider this from Joseph's perspective. Let's just consider the morning that he is made number two in Egypt, okay? Let's consider that morning. That morning, whenever Joseph woke up, Four in the morning, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever he had to do to get up and, and be able, ready to serve there in the prison. That morning that he got up, did he have any power to change his circumstances that day? Church, did he? No. He had no power to change his circumstances. Just like you and I have no power to change our circumstances. There's only certain things that we can do. We're called to obey. We're called to put our faith in, in this big God. We're called to orient our lives to him. We're called to live in such a way that we make him big. But we have no power to change our, our circumstances around us. And, and the danger is to think that we do have power to change our circumstances. You say, that's a rather fatalistic view, PD. No, it's not. It's a faith view because I believe there's a God who will and can change our circumstances for his glory. Joseph is powerless to settle it. But God did. God did. And how long did Joseph have to wait, church? Please tell me you've been paying attention. How long? 13 years. Is that a long time, church? I don't care if you're 88 years old. That's a long time. 13 years is a long time. Joseph had to wait and Joseph had to be faithful during that whole time. Got to thinking about this. And really, this is really the, the, the way this all sums up. And I want you to just look at this verse with me. I've referenced it several times. I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you found the book of Hebrews in the, in the New Testament, keep going towards the back of your Bible. You'll get to 1 Peter real soon. Because I like, I like the, the, the extra wording that Peter puts 
in his treatment of this. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. And I want to leave this verse with us this morning as I conclude. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the, my Bible says, proper time, he may exalt you. You know what, you know what our problem is? Our time and God's time are different. We always think it's the proper time, don't we? This would be a good time now, God. This would be a good time to right all the wrongs. This would be a good time to bring healing. This would be a good time to bring blessing. This would be a good time to make me forget. And what is Peter's advice in light of that in verse 7? Humble yourselves so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And what are you supposed to do with all the things that, that have got you down? Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he absolutely cares for you. And, the, and this story of Joseph is a powerful reminder of that. God never stopped caring for Joseph. There are days I'm sure that Joseph felt like he was so far away from that one true God and, and that he just wished, if I could go back and redo it all again, I would have done it so differently, God. And yet God was saying, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. I'm going to lift you up. I promise you I will do it. Just keep humbling yourself, Joseph. You know, the surest way to know if you're humbling yourself before God is your position before him. Do you bow before him or do you stand before him in demand? Humble yourselves under the hand of the almighty God and at the proper time, he'll lift you up. Father, make us humble. Oh, how we wish we could wipe away all the hurts, all the pain, how we wish we could just make it disappear. But there's only one who can do that, that's you. And so today, for those who are in this room who are hurting, I pray that today would be the day that they would recommit to just staying humble before you, to just staying on that bowed knee before you, And I don't often do this, but I'm going to ask nobody to look around. Maybe you're that person, just say, PD, don't mention me by name, but, but would you just pray for me? Because I feel like I can barely hang on. The hurt is getting pretty deep. The injustices are getting pretty big. I can't forget all this stuff. Would you just pray for me? Would you just lift up your hand? I promise you I will not embarrass you. Just pray for me. Yeah. 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 Father, you've seen the hands, but more than that, you know the hearts. And you know the hearts of others who just couldn't even lift the hand this morning. You are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. You're the God who heals. And I pray that today, in a real way, you would provide the healing and the hope that these and others in this room need. In your wonderful son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, this final song that we're going to do, um, we're going to do something a little different uh, this morning as we close. Uh, I've chose the song for us to be a little bit more reflective of our own hearts and, and our lives, especially in the context of trials. And so stand with us um, as we sing uh, a new song.
Um, and I would encourage you, if you know it, sing it, please. Um, if you start to catch on to the ver or chorus, sing the chorus with us, but really reflect on your own heart and, and ask the, the question, is this true of me?